It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarta. Thanks for joining us again. Or if it's your first time, my name is Tom Scarta, and I am a franchise advisor and coach. I match people with franchise opportunities based on skills and personality and goals, kind of like the e-harmony of business is what I like to call it. And so I have a great friend with me today, David Weaver. And David and I match people with franchises, and we work with folks that are frustrated with their career. They are sort of cringing at the thought of going to work in the morning. We also work with folks that have a job, but they want to build something on the side, kind of a bridge to freedom uh, after corporate life. And so we help folks all over the country. And um, if you're thinking about franchising, one guy that you need to listen to is my friend David Weaver from Colorado. So David and his wife, Anne-Marie, have been involved in several businesses. I think it's seven and counting, including franchises and non-franchise businesses. David and I work with Franchoice, which is a nationally renowned company, kind of a franchise broker company. And we are subcontractors with them. And what they do is pre-screen franchises that we work with. So we know that they have kind of all the I's dotted and the low, uh, lower J's dotted, T's crossed. And that is what makes us really comfortable. And know we, so we know we have the best franchise opportunities for our clients or candidates. So David, I want to welcome, welcome you into the Academy. How are you? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me. Happy uh, this, to be here. This is so great. If I think back, it was, I remember sitting with you, um, I think we were in Atlanta and we were visiting a franchise company. Um, and, and I remember being in a, we were sitting there, it was like the, probably the first time or second time we ever met. And you had some great things that you were bringing to the table because of your vast background with, with finance and, and all the stuff you know, we all have a life before franchising. So um, I'm just so happy to, to have you on the show. Um, so you're in Colorado, right? I am. I am. So you had said that you and the family every once in a while go hella skiing. <laughs> so um, as a guy from New York, explain that to me. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a big skier. Uh, I grew up in in Flatland of Indiana, and my dad was actually a really big skier. He started heli skiing back in '75 ish, and and uh, so he took me heli skiing for the first time when I graduated from college. And since then, I fell in love with it. And I we we've got a group of guys that go up to Canada and uh and and ski out of canada from helicopter so helicopter skiing is is normal skiing except you're not in a resort and so the main difference is you kind of have to be able to ski in all snow conditions because the you know the weather makes it crusty or powdery or whatever so um it's absolutely awesome that's all i can say yeah, I, mean, I did see a video you you brought to a meeting um, a year or two ago, and I mean it's just breathtaking. There's nothing, nothing except for you guys skiing up there on that mountain. Yeah, so. I, the probably the coolest thing about that is 
you know, helicopters are noisy and, and, and vibrate and all that. So you, you, you fly up and then they, they find some flat spot on the top of a peak and they land the helicopter, but usually it's pretty small little spots. So everybody gets out of the helicopter. A lot of people think that you jump out of a flying helicopter. That doesn't happen. Um, and then the helicopter flies away. Right. So you get all this, you know, wind chop and the snow blows in your face and stuff and it's noisy. And then the helicopter flies away and the, the quiet, the, the, the lack of noise is so unbelievable. Every time it's awesome. You're on top of a mountain peak. There's nothing around as far as you can see. It's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so how high up are the peaks that you go to? Uh, it depends on where you're, where you're skiing. And we, we, we typically go to British Columbia, but there's heli skiing all over there. There are outfits in Utah and Colorado, et cetera. So Colorado mountains are typically 13 to 14,000 feet. Um, if you go to British Columbia, they're not as tall. So they're more like eight to nine is the, is it the peak, but the <laughs> base is, is also lower, right? So our base of the mountain Vail, Colorado is an example is like 9,000 foot base. And then the peak is more like 12 or 13. Um, in British Columbia, you start at like 3000 and go up to eight or nine. So the vert is all we care about as skiers. What's the vert? Yeah, that is amazing. That's cool stuff. So to me, it sounds like, you know, action and risk, which is also franchising. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so any business has risk involved. And I think that as you're looking at you know, a franchise to buy is I've purchased franchises, you've purchased franchises. There's certain things that one needs to think about. And it's not the things that people think they should be thinking about. So what, what's like your, if you had like two or three pieces of advice to give somebody and you were never going to see them again, you're on a plane and you're going to get off and they're like, Oh, I'm thinking about buying a franchise. What three pieces of advice would you give them? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I would say start with the business model first, right? So I always tell my candidates, my job as a consultant is to help you look at the franchise industry or the franchise space like a business investor so that you're not shopping for a franchise like a consumer, right? So just because your kids love Chick-fil-A doesn't mean Chick-fil-A is a great business to own. Like, let's have a conversation about what it looks like to run a restaurant. Let's have a conversation about what it looks like to run a, a quick service restaurant and, and then go from there. So always look at the business that you're going to invest in like a business investor would, which is focus on the business model first. Uh, focus on how you want to engage in the business as the owner. Think about your role as the owner, things like that. So uh, first piece of advice is start with the business model. Um, I was just listening to one of the um, financial channels and and they were talking about the this big billionaire investor was talking about the investments that he makes and, and the economic situation that we're in, et cetera. And he mentioned the management team. He was like, I always invest in companies with strong management teams. And that really got me thinking about our podcast today. And which is my second piece of advice, always focus on the leadership team at the franchisor. Because as an investor, right, of your own business, your own franchise location, you are the capital and the management. 
unless you're going to hire your own management, right? So you can, you know, part of my consulting is focusing on you as the management team. How are you going to build your team? What does that look like? Let's get granular on some of the things that you need to be thinking about, which are probably not the things to your point that you think you need to be thinking about. Um, so let's focus on the important things. Um, but also at the franchisor level, what does that leadership team look like? And how do you engage with the leadership team at the franchisor? Because from my perspective, the franchisor is your business partner mm -hmm. in the business system and the business leadership, et cetera. And so if you're aligned with that leadership team, you're going to be a happy franchisee. But also if you're misaligned with where that management team has taken the company, et cetera, it's going to be hard to be happy with the choice that you made. Right. Um, and then the third thing that, that I tell candidates that I would focus on is um, we need to dream bigger, right? Um, you got to have a long-term plan. You got to think about where you want this business to take you and your family, et cetera. Um, and, and you know, this being in the business that we typically work with people later in their career, they might be mid forties to mid fifties, sometimes even a little bit older than that. Um, they have the experience and the confidence that they know how to run a business. They understand how to hire and fire people. They typically have uh, P&L responsibility, et cetera. But what also happens later in one's career is you tend to sort of lose that enthusiasm that you have in your 20s about what your life's going to look like. And, and so, you know, my third piece of advice is, and I, I spend time on this because I don't think people in our, our stage of life dream enough and or think big enough, right? So we, we kind of, the world kind of gets you to think small um, and that's the fun part, right? So it's not about making piles and piles of money, although that's possible. Um, that's not what I mean by dreaming big, but what is it that you want to put in your life that you haven't put in your life yet? Right. And that's what I mean by dreaming big. And for some people, that's a trip to Bora Bora. And for other people, that's making sure my kids go to college. It doesn't matter what the dream is to me. What's actually important is do you act, are you really solidified in what that dream means and how concrete can you make it? Right. So um, I would say those are the three biggest pieces. That's huge. I love it. And, and so when you say dream big, and so what came to my mind is Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, who said that the paycheck is what they give you to forget your dreams. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what happens to, to us, right? Um, yeah. We get, we're told, go to school, get a job, be happy and shut up. Is this what there is? Um, and then how could you decide at 20 in college what you want to be when you're 40, 50, 60? It, it's, you can't do it. So a lot of people just suffer. And, and you heard me say this. I don't want to, this is your time, but I just want to say people come to us and they're always excited about, you know, what franchise is going to be for them. Is a franchise A? Is a franchise B? Oh, my goodness, what kind of choice am I going to have? And the final choice is not franchise A or franchise B. It's a choice between uncertainty or unhappiness. Yeah, absolutely. And most people choose unhappiness, unfortunately, and they stick with the stupid job and the stupid boss and the bad commute and whatever it is, because, you know, I got to pay the bills. That's so true. And I mean, and most people that are successful in the corporate world, they're making a big paycheck, which 
is feels secure because it comes every two weeks or every month, right? And they also, a lot of times, especially in the tech sectors, they have this big profit sharing or bonus incentive where they get to buy into the company stock. So they end up with this huge chunk of the company stock and they think that they're in a safe position. But you and I as entrepreneurs understand that if 100% of your uh, source of income is coming from one place, that's riskier than than business ownership, but nobody looks at it that way. So, you know, as a consultant, as a coach, a lot of times what we're doing is helping people look at things from a different perspective so that they can move their life in the direction that they want it to go. Um, if from my perspective, having multiple streams of income is much, much safer than having all of your income and a big chunk of your retirement all coming from one source. And, and we logically think it's the company, right? But it's not the company, it's your boss, your immediate boss or his immediate boss. You got two people removed from your entire income stream and retirement. I think that's nuts. But again, <laughs> I, I go up in helicopters to go skiing too. So, you know, who, who am I to talk? Right, right, right. No, but you make a great point. And and that, that is like that security thing. A good friend of ours, um, Melissa Lewis, said to me once, you know, your, your safest day on the job is day one. And every day you're there, it gets less safe because you could get laid off or the company could get, um, you know, have a merger and your job is gone. And in business is the opposite. Your, your least safe day in business is your first day. And then every day you build that business and gain more customers, it gets safer and safer and safer because you're building all those different income streams through different customers is kind of the way to look at it. So, Absolutely. so I, lo I love your point. And I think uh, this, so much is going on in my head, as you said, that it's just so great. I think um, we're, you know, we're taught to go to school, like I said, and people don't realize, like I was, I was talking to somebody who actually came into some money. This is recent. It's just a friend of mine. Not, some, not somebody looking at franchising. And he said, yeah, you know, I never have to work, but I have to get a little job for the health insurance. Oh. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> it's like, I understand health insurance is going to cost you $1,200 a month or whatever, but are you willing to give up all those hours of your life in a job that you don't even really like for to save $1,200 on health insurance? Yeah. But that's how we think in this country. It's so backwards. I think that's the biggest, the, the most significant trick that corporate America has played on, on Americans is that health insurance is so valuable. It's like, I mean, and for, you know, most of us are healthy anyway, right? So a, a catastrophic health insurance plan is just not that expensive. And then when you when it's being paid by the company that you're running and that you own, it makes it like really an insignificant thing. But that's not what people believe, right? So again, you got to change the mindset. Um, and I, I, you said something earlier that made me think of I I think it came from Brian Tracy, but it could have been Tony Robbins, one one of those success guys like that. Um, we often underestimate what we can we often overestimate what we can accomplish in 12 months but we grossly underestimate what can be done in 5 years and that to me speaks volumes to it, what Melissa Lewis said the the riskiest day or the the least riskiest day is your first day on the job um if we have a 5 year time horizon what most people don't realize is you can change your entire world 
your lifestyle, your retirement plan in a five to seven year window, it's not going to happen in a one to two year window. It's just not. And I'm never going to tell anybody that, right? Because you got to build a foundation and a business in which to grow. It's all, all of that it takes time. But in a five to seven year window, I mean, people can change their entire perspective on the way that they view the world, which is what I love about what you and I get to do. It's just a blast to help people see the world in a different way. And to be frank, many people never get there. They just don't. Um, but the few that do, it's just an absolute kick. Right. And it's not for everyone, as, as you're alluding to. Um, but it's, you know, a franchise is a business with training wheels. And, you know, for somebody like me, who I was a subway train conductor before I got into franchising, I didn't know, you know, anything about business. My dad was a cop. I didn't have money. I didn't have any pedigree. I, I have an associate's degree. I mean, I, you know, but I got into this smoothie business, which enabled me to semi-retire at 41 years old, being in it only five years. And, and it's, you know, I worked my butt off, don't get me wrong, but you could change so much. So since you brought that up, I just, this is why I'm saying is, um, I had somebody else on the podcast a few weeks ago who said that um, he actually is a PE, a private in, uh, equity investor. And he's a part, he's like the principal of one of these big giant firms. Um, I'm not gonna name names right now, but he said when he's evaluating a business, he's not evaluating it for what it's looking like right now, especially right now with economics and whatever. He's like, what is this business going to look like in five years? So if you're buying a, he said, if you're buying a franchise today, you're just buying a single unit. You're not buying the franchise for what it is today. You're buying it for what it's going to become five years from now. What you make it, but also that's, that's a, a very good point on established franchise brands like, subway or supercuts or whatever versus an emerging brand um that's a mindset that that i help people set also because a lot of people have this idea that i want a franchise for the brand recognition but you actually want the brand recognition it's the one that you're gonna own you want that brand recognition that you're gonna that that's five years down the road uh because the opportunity in your market is so much greater and a lot of people don't think of it that way right um right if if you know the brand name the ship has already sailed. Right, right. I mean, it's it's location, location, location for business and for real estate, right? So if you want brand recognition, the, the location, location, location has been gone long, long time ago. Right. There's so much to be said on just that alone. But, you know, good, good advice. Um, I know that also uh, we were talking previously about systems, like you like to see you're a systems guy. You like to see systems. Elaborate on that a little bit. So I'm in love with franchising for lots of reasons, but really, if you break it down, it comes into kind of two periods in my in my life for pre-franchising. Um, the one was I was in corporate America. My dad um, basically bought a retirement business. So I grew up in Indiana in manufacturing. We made car parts for the big three up in Detroit. Um, and then General Motors forced a merger. My dad um, ended up sort of early retirement and then found a business to buy. He knew the foundry business, so he buys a little foundry. That's the business that I worked in, uh, which was now in Detroit. So we had a small little jobbing foundry in Detroit. Um, 
I go in there, complete disaster. I won't go into that whole story. I call, I refer to that period of time in my life as my real life MBA. So, um, <laughs> The I went in in 2000 and left in 2000, late 2004. Um, that's when the Y2K bug uh, came and went, right? So everybody's worried about technology. And then the towers came down in, in 01. Um, and everybody, you know, the economy kind of fell on its face and the auto business really fell on its face. Um, the point is, I implemented ISO 9000 quality control process, right? In within the organization, that was my job. Um, What's interesting is the cost in which to have a system to put in was about the cost of a franchise fee. The implementation process that I got to do took me about two and a half to three years to fully implement. Once we had a system to run the business against, we went from 25 employees producing a couple hundred thousand in revenue per month to 11 employees. We kind of grew back to about 15 doubling the monthly revenue. So we had less employees doubling the revenue, way easier to manage 10 to 15 employees than it is 25 to 30 employees. And, and that was my real life MBA, like running a business with 10 to 15 employees is a blast running a business with, you know, with more. So that, that was my aha. Uh, then I, I got out of the family business, brought my family back to Colorado in that 2005 to 2008 or nine range, um, I worked for a, a non-bank finance company. And Tom, I, I the two brands that I um, financed were two brands that you cut your teeth on in franchising. So uh, the smoothie business and the supper making business. And I have to hear you say supper because, uh-huh. you know, Supper. So um, what I learned in that experience is some, fran- I learned a lot about franchisors, but what franchise brands are worth putting our financial, the financial company's money into and, and what ones aren't, which mirrors your success and, and lack thereof uh, history. Um, but I learned a lot about franchising that way. So why do I love franchising is the systems that you're buying into take a long time to to implement to understand what works and what doesn't work so it's it you're getting a you're getting an education right off the bat and all you need to do is step in and execute right so business is hard enough so if you only get to focus on the two things that you have control over as a franchise owner finding and attracting great customers and treating them well and finding and attracting great employees that want to stay for a long, long time. You can build any business to the hilt and create your empire, whatever your goals are. Right. But the time that it takes to build the systems in order to effectively do the first two things I just mentioned um, is remarkable. It takes a long, long time. Um, and in my case, it took me two years just to get the quality control process in place. So that's what I love about systems it's the fast track towards the life that we really want and what business ownership can deliver for us. Franchising just does it faster. Um, like you said, there's a lot of work and you have to do it, but if you, you know, if you can cut the learning curve quite a bit. That's it. You're, you're, you know, you pay a franchise fee, but you're not just paying for air. You're, you're paying for the experience and, and getting to the front of the line and you know, buying up the time to break even and buying down the time 
to uh, make a profit in that business. That's what it's all about. You could do it on your own. There's no question about it. It's very low barrier to entry in a lot of the concepts that you might look at, but there's a big barrier to scalability. Um, and, and also, according to the Small Business Administration, without a franchise, you're most likely gonna fail within 12 months. Uh, with a franchise, it, the, the statistics are so much greater, 10 times. Um, and, and so there, there's a lot to that. Um, so the, the name of your uh, company is Franchise Your Freedom, which, which I love. So wh what does that mean to you? What, why, did, why did you call your business Franchise Your Freedom? Uh, honestly, it came, it was more of a rebranding, um, to be honest with you. So, you know, a couple of iterations and, and that's part of entrepreneurship. Um, I, you know, I, I named it franchise your freedom because in a decade of working with thousands of people, I always ask people why franchising or what, what is it that you're trying to accomplish at this stage in your career, et cetera. The answer is always some form of freedom and control of their life of decision making of their income they want freedom of decision making freedom of time personal flexibility it's always freedom and control and so that's where the name came up and and yours is franchise your freedom it this is about you as the candidate it's not about me and my story and my background or tom scarden is in the franchise academy all of that stuff is important but when we win when we focus on other people. And, and I say that in general, whether it's the elements massage business that, that my wife and I ran or the foundry business that, you know, it's about building an environment that allows other people to win. Um, that's the key to success. I don't care what level of success you want. That's the key in my opinion. I love it. And, and that's what your company franchise your freedom does is allow people to um, become masters of their own destiny. Uh, there was a mentor of mine said, it doesn't matter how many franchises you own. What matters for me personally is how many franchise owners I can produce. Because when, when I do that, it's a butterfly effect, right? So like even in my first little tiny smoothie business, the franchise I had, you know, there was a couple who met, they got married, had a family. I mean, like, if I didn't start that business, would they have met? I don't know, you know? So it, there's like these little things that are so great about starting a business. You're creating jobs, you're creating a, a tax engine for for that community. It's just so many good things. But I love the way you put it is that you're giving a platform to somebody to achieve greatness, whatever that greatness is for them, right? Absolutely. My passion is to create as many business owners as I can, because business owners have a greater likelihood of making an impact on their community. So my favorite word is impact, right? So as a business owner, you're making an impact to your customer base in the product or service, whatever it is that you're doing for the community, but you're more, you're making a bigger impact on your employees' lives, the, the charities that you can give to, like there's so many things that you get to do as a business owner that you're just more limited in doing in, in an employment type of role, which is why I just, I get so energized about helping people find, find that business that's gonna get them jazzed up as I'm, I am about this one.
Uh, and I'll say this just quickly, and we're going to wrap it up here in a second. But um, it, they say that the most valuable commodity in life is time, and you can't buy time. But I disagree. With a proper franchise, with the right systems, you could buy time. So what that means is that you start the business, you start the franchise, you might be in it, you know, 40 hours a week, who knows? Um, there's all different ways you could tackle that. But over time, you're going to be employing people to do the things uh, that makes the business run. You'll also be employing people to do the things that you don't like. So that's like the first thing you should do. Um, <laughs> but then when you're making, you know, uh, enough money, you can actually hire people to do things in your life that you don't like to do. And it could be silly, like cooking or taking the car for the car wash and picking up the dry cleaning, you're buying time. So now you have time. What can you do with that time? You could volunteer. You could, you know, build another business, you know, whatever it is. You, so a great business with great systems will allow you to buy time. And that's one of the biggest, that's one of my passions is to get people to understand that concept. It's, it's really interesting. That's such a cool concept. And, and it's a hard one for a lot of people to get their head around. Um, and until you experience it for yourself, it's hard to explain it to other people, but that's exactly what happens. Um, I often tell people, you know, one of the first motivators, why do you want to own business? I want to make piles and piles of money. Uh, money, in my opinion, is a horrible motivator because once you make more than you're used to making, whatever that number is, it, it kind of that's it, that's not nearly as as important or exciting or interesting. Um but boy, is getting your time back interesting and exciting. And and you can play with that in so many different ways, right? So uh, money and time together definitely make for lifestyle. So um, it is pretty fun, but you got to build the foundation. Right. And that's so well said. And it's such great advice coming from a great franchise advisor. Uh, so true. So talking about impact, I wanted to ask you quickly about um, the marine stuff behind you. What is oh, th thank you. I, uh, I don't come from a military family. My wife's, uh, my, my in-laws do, or my, my father-in-law is a Marine. Uh, my son was a high school kid, uh, didn't want to go to college. So he and I are all hunting one year. I live in Colorado and, um, you know, he's a sophomore in high school. And I was like, Bradley, you got to have a plan, right? Grades aren't where they need to be. You know, he's just not on the track. And so I'm trying to, as a dad, get him on track in an, in an environment where we can connect. Right. And, uh, and he's like, dad, I just don't want to go to college. Like sitting in class for another four years gives me a stomach ache. That's what he said. Um, and I was like, okay, so what are you going to do? He's like, I think I want to be a Marine. And I immediately was like, wow, that's a pivot. I did not see coming. No. Um, and so I was like, what about the coast guard? Like Marines are forward deploying like hardcore. I was like, what about the coast guard or the Navy or something? Right. Um, now I recognize that the Marines are part of the Navy, but uh, I didn't really understand that back then. Um, and he gave me all these great reasons, right? So junior year, his junior year in high school, we go elk hunting in, in the fall. Um, what's going on? Still committed to wanting to be a Marine. Now he's got better reasons. So I'm just, you know, asking questions and listening and, and um, the kid stuck with it. So he went, uh, he graduated, uh, I'm at my dates. 
he be, went into the Marines this past fall, um, went to basic training in San Diego, and uh, he's always loved Japan. He's one of those guys that loves all that um, like animation type stuff, that Japanese animation. He's been super into that his whole life. Um, loves Japan, loves the culture of Japan. He got deployed to Japan for 36 months right out of training. So oh. he's over he's over in Japan right now. He's 20 years old. And um, clearly I'm proud of him because, because he decided what he wanted to do and he put things in place so that he could achieve his own goals. And they were not my goals. And that's what I love about that story. And uh yeah. and yeah, that is just amazing. Congratulations on that. And uh hoorah, as they say. Hoorah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that is, that's incredible. Um, wow, I got goosebumps. And uh, you know, and it's just an honor. And thank you so much to him for uh for serving and allowing people like you and me to do what we do. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of him. I can't tell you. Um, learning a lot as a, as a military parent, cause I don't know a whole lot, but uh, it's definitely a different path. And mm -hmm. I'm, I couldn't be more proud of him for, for picking his own way and making it happen. So good for him. Good. Well, you're a good coach, even in the family. So that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. So David, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to ask you or pick your brain about franchising? I, honestly, the best way to get a hold of me is shoot me an email. dweaver at franchise.com is really my my uh, best choice. www.franchiseyourfreedom.com is my website. Um, but dweaver at franchise.com is the best. I'd love to hear from you. I, I can't wait to connect. Um, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. David Weaver, thank you for having uh, taking the time out here to talk with me. Really appreciate it. It's good seeing you. We'll catch you very soon at a franchise conference. Uh, we got one on the books coming up, so I'm looking forward to that. And, me too. Uh, we'll hoist one and and we'll uh, we'll celebrate your son too. So thank you. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Tom. Talk to you later. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.